This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Monday, October the 24th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. A little gravel on the horns on a Monday. Coming up on the show today, National Disability Employment Awareness Month rolls on. Marco Pasqua and I will contemplate how entrepreneurship factors into the inclusive employment landscape. The sixth annual Nova Scotia Open Goalball Championship is coming back in November. Ryan Dillahanty will tell you about some volunteers. Flalo considers whether people want commercials with their streaming. Let's begin the show with our top story of the day and it's been our top story for the majority of the last couple of weeks the emergencies act public inquiry continues today ottawa interim police chief stephen bell is scheduled to testify emily javesky looks ahead Steve Bell was deputy chief when the Freedom Convoy protests swept Ottawa in late January. He's been the city's interim chief ever since Peter Slowly resigned in mid-February. Bell previously said he did not ask the federal government to invoke the Emergencies Act. Slowly is also expected to testify this week before the commission, which is looking into whether Ottawa was justified in invoking the act. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press. I want to play some sound that was important from Friday's hearings, just so we're making sure to continue the context and the way we report this. Former Ontario Provincial Police Chief Superintendent Carson Party says the Emergencies Act was useful. It did not suddenly turn us on our reels that we had to change a lot. We just added it to the plan. It helped. I'm not going to say that it was not useful. It provides us with some authorities relating to toll, relating to perimeters, relating to preventing people from going into the red zone, etc. But we could have done that anyway. Party went further, noting that the act was not necessary because the OPP had a plan. There was a solution and we, we reached that solution. We, we had some help with the EMCPA, the Emergency Management Civil Protection Act regulations that we have with the province and the Emergencies Act, but in my humble opinion, we would have reached the same solution with the plan that we had without either of those pieces of legislation. In, within, around the same timeline. Yes. Had a plan. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's move over, over to Alberta, where a new cabinet in Alberta will be sworn in today. There are 27 members of the cabinet with 11 parliamentary secretaries, five of the leadership hopefuls who Daniel Smith beat out to become premier will have a seat in the cabinet. At a party event over the weekend, Premier Smith discussed the possibility of passing a sovereignty act in the province. We will use it to push Ottawa back into its own lane every single time that they step out of line and intrude on our constitutional rights. Alberta will no longer ask permission from Ottawa to be prosperous and free. Let's head over to British Columbia following up on a story that we had throughout the week. Last week, a disqualified NDP leadership hopeful in British Columbia says she'll accept 
premier-to-be David Eby's invitation to work with him on climate issues, but with some reservations. Rob Westgate has the story. Angelia Padurai says it's time for a bigger push on climate change initiatives, like the declaration of a state of emergency on the climate following last year's wildfires, heat dome, and now a drought. Padurai also wants the province to cancel fossil fuel infrastructure and announce a moratorium on any new oil and gas expansion projects. After being ousted from the leadership race, Apadurai says she disagrees with the report by the party's executive that she engaged in serious improper conduct by working with third parties, including the environmental group Dogwood BC, which was found to have conducted membership drives on her behalf. Rob Westgate, the Canadian Press. And let's head up north to the Northwest Territories, where the government has announced it was cancelling the large barge to Saks Harbor due to bad weather and a late start to sailing season. The barge brings essential supplies to northern communities. Shelby Lucas is the manager of the co-op in the community. Lucas says there's a shortage of supplies. We are getting pretty low on a lot of stuff, and, and it does affect the customers a lot. A lot of people were depending on the barge for tickets like their vehicles and whatnot food. And so a big part of our community is people going out hunting to have food. Austin LaRock is a resident of Hay River. He recently moved to the community and most of his belongings are now stuck in a shipping container. Pretty much our life is in that sea camp. Like if you think about if there's any kind of baby pictures or anything, because we started the life there, we were there for over two years. Certain things are replaceable, but certain things are not. For me, the biggest shock was, okay, now I'm working in Hay River. I don't have my tools, but yet i got to make a living as a mechanic without my tools. The territorial government says it will fly necessary freight and fuel from the barge to Saks Harbor at no extra cost to residents in the community, but it says difficult decisions will have to be made about oversized items. Let's get to our daily polls. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. On Friday, we asked you, ahead of me, uh, feeling shutouts for some concert tickets, would you join an artist's fan club for early access to concert tickets, album releases, merchandise, etc.? 36% of you said yes. 64% of you said no. The good news is I went online on Saturday and I was able to find plenty of tickets available, including an aisle seat for your uh, wide-bodied friend, Dave Brown. So any crisis that I felt on Friday morning was averted by Saturday. Nice way to start the weekend. Let's get to today's daily poll, which you can find, again, at Accessible Media on Twitter or at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. It is Municipal Election Day in Ontario. It was Municipal Election Day in British Columbia last weekend. I'm asking you, do you feel that municipal election campaigns create too much litter, signs, door hangers, etc.? Yes or no? A couple pieces of context before I bounce the ball around the table. On Friday, I think I got six door hangers total over the course of the afternoon. And I was definitely home for a short period of time when a few of them showed up. Candidates not even bothering to knock on the doors anymore. Just just putting hangers on the door and walking away. And one of our colleagues, Paula Deneen, sent me a picture of her apartment's mailboxes on Saturday. And some candidate had just jammed a bunch of papers into every mailbox of the apartment building, just leaving a huge mess, let alone lawn signs and signs all over public parks everywhere. 
it's so much litter. It feels so wasteful. I understand it's part of the process, but I think we're maybe getting a little bit away from the point. And the door hangers especially really tick me off. Knock on the door. I might answer it. I might not. But at least knock on the door first. Don't just leave hangers. It's not a menu for a restaurant. So you can leave me as many menus for restaurants as you want. In fact, I miss the menus for restaurants. But to be school board trustee, I don't need the door hanger. Knock on the door. Knock on the door. Alex Smythe, too much litter for municipal elections. Yay or nay? Uh, Yeah, definitely yay. I don't have the same problem where I live with the door hanger uh, issues and the stuffing of of mailboxes, thankfully. I mean, we, we get our all the different letters and the different uh, promotional material, but it doesn't seem to be as extreme as you or our colleague Paula is is dealing with. Uh, but the one that always gets me is always the lawn signs. It's not just, okay, you, you got one on your lawn. It's when there's like the side of a major street and you'll literally have 20 within like 50 meters of each other of the same candidate. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, that is so wasteful, so unnecessary. You don't need to have multiple ones of the same candidate on one small stretch of road. And then you start to think, okay, well, what are the materials that these signs are made of? Are they really recyclable? Are they good for the environment? Like, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I, I always think to myself, too, it's like, if I see a candidate that has so many signs, it actually detracts from me wanting to support them, especially on a municipal scale, because this is independent. There's no real party allegiances at the municipal uh, election. You're you're trying to vote for an individual. I'm less likely to vote for you if I see your sign everywhere and think, you know, you're being very wasteful with how you're marketing yourself, let alone whatever your platform is. So I think there's definitely a way we can kind of change how we promote elections and candidates going forward and i hope something that's a bit more environmentally friendly yeah definitely counterproductive i like that you mentioned that that if i feel bombarded by your signs it might actually be more of a turnoff eliza you're like me you live in a building have you been noticing the door hanger issue oh my god yes i have i get so many daily especially there's so many for the same candidate daily also like it's it's like do you live in my building like how do you keep getting in And I, I I do appreciate when they knock on the door. I like that. I've talked to a few of them. And that's I do I think that is useful. That helps them in some way. But the massive amounts of door hangers I've gotten, I don't read them anymore. There's so many mm-hmm, of them constantly. Mm-hmm. Right to the recycling. <laughs> right. The, I should have kept all of them and, like, taken a picture of the stack I had by the end of the month. But it's it's absurd. It's so wasteful. And it makes me so sad. And there is a place for physical media and physical campaigning mm-hmm. materials. But it's just ridiculous it's this is too much and it's not effective in my mind it makes me seeing a bunch of lawn signs is not doing anything for me Mm -hmm. that's not where Mm -hmm. i figure out who i'm gonna vote for i i do my research i go online (laughs) i look up oh what is this candidate about the lawn signs they don't do anything for me i don't know who they're for you mean driving down don mills seeing a bunch of like ads taped to a bus stop doesn't influence your municipal election decisions not really no wow interesting interesting i agree with you there's a place for physical advertising there's a place for signs and there's maybe even a place for door hangers but i think it has to be to a certain degree within reason i think we just need to be reasonable about this also like these things aren't free no. you know like like what kind of money could you have spent maybe to like 
buy some radio advertising or buy some TV advertising or some social media advertising as opposed to just yeah, stick this pa- stick this paper else? on a door. <laughs> you know, like, come on, it's like there's got to be there's got to be a better way. Eliza, thank you for this. I appreciate it. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc is where you find us on Facebook. Maybe you disagree with me completely. You're welcome to. Feel free to chime in in the comment section. Say Dave Brown is a dummy. I've got thick skin. I can handle it. I have very thick skin, in fact. That is a nice layer of hair on top of it, no less. Let's go back to Alex Smythe. Alex has the national weather update. Here is your AMI national weather report from Environment Canada. Starting in St. John, Newfoundland, it's mainly sunny and a high of 14. Over in Halifax, Nova Scotia, there's rain off and on today with up to 10 millimeters expected and the high is 16. Over to Montreal, Quebec. It's a mix of sunny clouds with possible showers and a high of 18. To Ottawa, Ontario, it's sunny, 19 is the high. In Toronto, Ontario, it's sunny as well, but the high is 18. To Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's showers off and on and possible thunderstorms this morning with a high of 17. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, showers with possible thunderstorms this morning and up to 15 millimeters of rain is expected. There's also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers uh, per hour and the high is 12. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's cloudy becoming a mix of sun and clouds and a high of three. In Calgary, Alberta, it's a mix of sun and clouds and a high of four. In Edmonton, Alberta, it's cloudy with possible showers this afternoon and a high of five. In Yellowknife Northwest Territories, it's cloudy with a chance of snow flurries and a high of zero. Over to Vancouver, BC. It's rained this morning, then cloudy with a chance of rain in the afternoon and a high of 12. In Victoria, BC, it's rained this morning and then cloudy with a chance of rain in the afternoon as well and the high is 14. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next with municipal elections scheduled in Ontario today, Michelle McQuig will take a look at some of the races that are making news. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Ontarians are headed to the polls for the second time this year. Municipalities across the province will be holding elections for all kinds of local positions. Canadian Press Weekend News Editor Michelle McQuig is here to have a gander at a few of the interesting races. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Hello, Dave. So, Michelle, lots of interesting races across the province. To your mind, what tops the list? Oh, gosh. Um... Well, I, I honestly, it would kind of depend on how you define interesting, but there are going to be a lot of familiar faces from the last Ontario election trying to sort of start fresh municipally. Um, I'm referring primarily, of course, to the two opposition leaders. Mm-hmm. Stephen Del Duca was head of the Liberal Party in June when when Doug Ford won an easy was re- easily reelected with a fresh majority. Uh, he did not win a seat in the legislature, and the Liberals did not perform all that well, so he quit as party leader that night. 
And as of tonight, he's going to hope to become elected mayor of Vaughan, which is a bit north of Toronto. Mm-hmm. He's not the only one trying to do that. Andrea Horvath is actually going kind of full circle at the moment. Uh, she's another one who who did resign her leadership position on election night. It wasn't quite as ignominious for her after she'd had the NDP helm for, oh gosh, oh, uh, more than a decade. Yeah, way more yeah, than a decade. Right? Like 16 years, I think it was something like that by the end. Um, but prior to that, some of you might remember, she had been a city councillor in Hamilton and she ran the whole time as an MPP in Hamilton. She's got strong ties to that area and now she wants to be mayor of that city. So that's what's happening tonight. She's uh, in contention there. Um, and I don't think it's quite considered a runaway either, even though she's got a pretty high profile. So that might be a really interesting race to watch tonight. What about uh, Patrick Brown, who instead of doing provincial politics and going oh, back to the yes. local level, he went federal and went, and went back to the local level. Let us not forget Patrick Brown. Never forget Patrick Brown because it's never boring. Um, he has had a very interesting tenure as a term of Brampton, Ontario, which is, you might recall, it's where he landed after the sexual misconduct allegations he faced in 2018 that drove him out of provincial politics, uh, then he had an abortive attempt to run the federal leader, uh, liberal, excuse me, the federal conservative leader. Um, but yeah, now he's up, he's facing a pretty stiff challenge in Brampton for his mayoralty. There has been a lot of internal wrangling, a lot of local drama, accusations of, of uh, underhanded doings and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it's actually quite colorful if you read the local media I have an advice to do that um <clears throat> but that's going to be a race as well to see what's going to happen tonight but he does have a, a fair bit of local support along with the controversy so he might well hang on michelle where did ottawa rank in the uh the list of interesting races <laughs> it's, it's it's the first time they're going to have a new mayor in over a decade in with, 12 years yeah, yeah. With, with, the, with a couple really interesting uh candidates here with Catherine mckinney uh running on one side and former radio host mark suckliffe on the other side uh it's been a pretty heated it's been a pretty heated campaign between those two it has been a pretty heated campaign, and you're right. Jim Watson is not seeking re-election, uh, so that's that's a real end of an era in Ottawa politics. Mm-hmm. He 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 was mayor for the past twelve years, but fifteen years in total. He had a previous term uh, separated by a stint in provincial politics, so he's had quite the long career. And of course, he's been in the spotlight a lot lately with the inquiry into the Emergencies Act and the role that he and his city council played in dealing with those convoys back in the winter. And Catherine McKenney, uh, some of you might remember, was a very vocal um, anti-convoy voice. Uh, they're non-binary. They were on council and 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 talking about how the, the, the risks that were marginalized communities were mm-hmm. facing downtown because of everything. They were very, very vocal about that. That's her now ward. That was her ward as well. So those, oh, excuse me, that was their ward. So those, those yeah. are their residents. Exactly. Yeah, they, they were very directly affected and their constituents were very directly affected by those convoys and they were quite a quite a vocal voice and uh, from a media perspective, one that w- it was quite easy to get a hold of for comment when one was needed about uh, what exactly was happening down there. Um, so yeah, they established a pretty strong progressive voter base down there in Ottawa, I'd say, but you're right. Stiff challenge. Uh, and there's a, they're not the only two contenders either. So mm-hmm. uh, that race is actually kind of up in the air. <laughs> Ottawa is notorious for having like 18 <laughs> candidates in, the, in their mayoral race. It's almost like a political city uh, draws all well, kinds you might of wanna... politically interesting people. Sorry, Ottawa, step off. Toronto's got you beat with 31 mayoral oh candidates God. today. Well, it's a bigger yeah. city, you know, so more people are interested. <laughs> But unlike Ottawa, this one's not really a race in Toronto. I, I didn't mention it as an interesting one because 
honestly, it's almost a foregone conclusion. John Tory is running for a third term as mayor. Despite having 30 challengers on the ballot, no one has really been able to sort of coalesce and, and, and get people to to line up behind them and there has a really clear challenger hasn't quite emerged for John mm. Tory. So I don't think anyone's expecting uh, too much different, too much difficulty for him today. Michelle, before we move on to some interesting elements to school boards and school board trustees, any peculiar races that you want to flag before we move on to the trustee side? Two actually. So there's in, uh, in Woodstock, Ontario, the current incumbent mayor is, is running again despite the fact that he is currently facing active criminal charges. So that should be interesting to see what happens to Trevor Birch. Um, but I would like to focus on a much more fun one. And if you'll forgive me, Dave, I'm going to quote directly from her copy written by my colleague, Allison Jones, because it's just pretty hilarious. It's Steele versus Steele in Port Colburn, Ontario, as incumbent mayor Bill Steele's only challenger is his brother, Charles. <laughs> The latter, Steele, has said in interviews that he and his brother haven't spoken in decades, and he only put his name on the ballot so his brother would not run unopposed. <laughs> oh my gosh, family feuds and family beefs playing right? out at the <laughs> municipal political level. All right. No the good times in Paul Corbett, Ontario today. No, no, no BC NDP uh, leadership race here. No <laughs> one's getting automatically appointed to the top. You must run against your brother, brother versus brother. Uh, Michelle, uh, we're having a little bit of fun there, but it's not necessarily super fun at the level of school board trustee. There have been some concerns raised about some of the rhetoric used in those campaigns across the province. There have, and, and, and indeed across the country, this is actually quite pretty interesting. So Ontario is not the only province in the midst of municipal elections. Uh, Manitoba is going to the polls in two more days. BC went last week, so mm. it's, it is municipal mm. election season. And these concerns that I'm about to go over were raised in all of those provinces. There's a lot of push and pull right now, and the Canadian anti-hate, excuse me, the Canadian anti-hate network is one of uh, several groups raising the alarm about the number of candidates who are seeking school board trustee positions that are espousing anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ positions in particular. Um, they also talk about a, a growing number of far-right candidates, and they recognize that the two groups are not necessarily mutually exclusive, but there is some overlap. Um, they're saying that there's just been a, 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 a noticeable increase in the number of candidates trying to get into these positions and they're saying that quite often they succeed but by virtue of the fact that school board trustee races tend to fly under the radar a little bit. Mm, I, they for do. One, had to, yeah, I, for one, had to spend a certain amount of time looking up the, who my actual candidates were in this writing, for starters. Um, so it, it's, it's, this is something that's been happening and, and that where they have been able to make some headway and you end up having some, some voices who are opposed, let's say, to having gender-neutral bathrooms in schools or... Uh, who oppose pride, pride day pride day color day exactly yeah what, what kind of flags are raised outside school buildings all those kinds of things they're not necessarily directly tied to the curriculum but people are arguing that they can have a really outsized influence on the school environment and, and all aspects of the school environment and making children feel included there there actually is a pretty uh, noticeable and, and direct spot where you can go to see some of this um, mobilization and action. There was a site called Vote Against Woke, and there is, is actually a site of people who are saying, we don't want to see more equity and diversity and inclusion in our schools. Vote against candidates who adopt these quote-unquote woke positions. And these, uh, so there is definitely an organized effort to do this. 
And uh, you can just imagine the kind of push and pull that will result. Um, so the, the caution coming from the Canadian Anti-Hate Network and other groups is to check these candidates, make sure you know who you're voting for in case you're putting in someone who is going to make your child feel excluded. Michelle, let's wrap up here on our daily poll question because it relates to municipal elections and folks can find it at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Michelle, much like me, you live in a building. Is there too much litter associated with municipal election campaigns? Too many door hangers, too many flyers, too many signs. Is there too much litter going on? Good question. Um, yeah, maybe so. Yeah, uh, I, I have to say we I got, we got off a little easier this year than last. So another year, my answer might have been a bit more emphatic. I didn't wind up with junk mail up to my knees this time. It was more up to just like say my my ankle. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, interesting question. Yeah, I would have to say yeah, there probably is. I like that. It's a tepid yes, but we'll take it. A tepid yes, nonetheless. Michelle, glad you're feeling a bit better. Thank you for making time for us today. We'll talk to you later this week for the news panel. Thank you. Have a great week, everybody. That is, go Mich- vote. That is yes, go vote indeed. That is Michelle McQuig, the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Coming up next, National Disability Employment Awareness Month rolls on. Marco Pasqua and I will contemplate how entrepreneurship factors into the inclusive employment landscape. But first... Here is Canadian press reporter Rob Westgate with your Morning Business Minute. Last week ended with Bay Street adding almost 300 points, lifted by a good performance from the base metals sector. Toronto's S&P TSX gaining 282 points to close at 18,861. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average jumped 749 points to settle at 31,083, while the Nasdaq rose 245 points to 10,860. Overseas this morning, we've got a mixed bag. Japan's Nikkei finishing up 84 points at 26,975. However, the Hang Seng in Hong Kong ahead of closing was down over 1,000 points. Now back home, as whispers of a potential recession grow louder, the Bank of Canada is expected to announce another interest rate hike on Wednesday. Meantime, China's economic growth accelerated in the latest quarter, but still was among the slowest in decades. As for the loonie, it's trading overseas this morning at 72.96 cents U.S. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Rob Westgate. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We have been speaking extensively about National Disability Employment Awareness Month on the show. In fact, we'll be talking about some events around Halifax in about an hour with Ryan Delahanty. Every time I think we've explored all the angles, one of our colleagues comes forward with another great idea. I definitely recommend checking out Jenny Bovard's segment from a couple of weeks ago on our podcast. Excellent, excellent stuff, telling a personal story about an access denial and the work she did to resolve it through a human rights case. There are opportunities and organizations that assist people with disabilities start their own business. So let's talk about entrepreneurship and disability with Marco Pasqua. Marco is the co-founder of Meaningful Access Consulting. Hey, good morning, Marco. How are you? Good morning, Dave. Great as always. Nice to chat with you. So, Marco, the whole conversation, this entire topic we're jumping into today, stems from an experience that you had at a local business. What is Studio 73? 
Yeah, so thanks, Dave. Uh, this month is actually also Community Living Month in BC, and that celebrates and recognizes the contributions of uh, persons with developmental disabilities in our community. And Studio 73 is actually home to a group of artists with developmental disabilities who work with glass to create beautiful glassware and other decorative pieces. Now, over the pandemic, they had to switch their model completely virtually. But this year, um, about two weeks ago, Karen and I were actually able to go to their actual storefront and pay homage to those artists and actually buy some of their amazing decorative pieces that they've created. Um, and I just think that it's incredible that Studio 73 is a place that was born out of someone's garage, like many entrepreneurship uh, ventures <laughs> are, and uh, is giving an opportunity for people with developmental disabilities to express themselves and actually make an income off of their art. It's it's truly awesome. Marco, let's scratch a little bit deeper in that about the opportunity that Studio 73 represents. More broadly, what do you think that represents? Yeah, I think it represents artistry, entrepreneurship, uh, inclusion, and providing a space for people with disabilities to express themselves and turn their passions into something meaningful that can truly bring the community together. Um, I think, honestly, anyone who's got the bug of entrepreneurship in them knows that they want to be their own boss and they want to carve their own way. And maybe the traditional nine to five isn't you know, for them. And I'm seeing more and more businesses pop up with founders with disabilities who, in a system where maybe their traditional nine to five doesn't work for them, they've decided to carve their own path, much like myself and my wife, and said, this is how I want to make a contribution to society. This is how I want to make my living, not just have a job, but make my living. And I think it's so important for all people to embrace that, but particularly those with a knack for it if you have a disability. We could be here all day if we started shouting out all of those businesses. Every time I see one pop across my social media feed, I'm always interested and a little bit curious. There was one that I found out about recently called Brewability in Colorado that's all about inclusive hiring practices for people across the disability spectrum and universal design within the bar. So beer, pizza, universal design, inclusive hiring. This is speaking my language. Next time I'm in Denver, I know where I'll be going. <laughs> but what about some businesses nice. that come to mind for you? Yeah, so a couple of years ago, I was watching Shark Tank. Uh, and, you know, I love entrepreneurship shows. And there was a, a business on there called John's Crazy Socks. And that's in the US. And it's based from a father-son team where the son um, has Down syndrome. And his dad recognized that he loved to create art and express himself through funky socks. So they thought, well, why can't we make this into a business? I kid you not, Dave, they're a multi-million dollar business now just from uh, the team selling funky, cool design socks. Uh, you probably also heard of the restaurants um, that got really big a couple of years ago, Dark Table, um, founded by uh, individuals who have a low vision or who are blind, and you you know eat completely in the dark. And I've experienced that once before, and it was really, really interesting experience for myself. So I just love seeing more people within my community, uh, persons with disabilities, really going out there and shining. Marco, how do you feel entrepreneurship factors into the inclusive employment landscape? Yeah, I, I really think that entrepreneurship is that opportunity where, as I said, the traditional nine to five doesn't really cut it for people. And I think that there's a real opportunity for if you have had barriers to employment, if there has been systematic things that have still created an issue or you're having challenges opening the eyes of potential employers, entrepreneurship is a way for you to show them exactly what you're made of and do it in your own way. And so I think the supporting of inclusion 
inclusion and persons with disabilities can only continue to happen as we create these conversations, but also show people that it's not about accommodating to our disabilities. It's giving us the opportunity to show you uh, what abilities we truly do have. And I mean, I feel like that's my role every single day mm. with what we do with Meaningful Access Consulting and, and all the things that I do as a speaker. So um, I just encourage more and more people to explore the opportunities that might be available for them, even if they've never considered entrepreneurship before. As you mentioned, you've been going down this road for a long, long time, even before you founded Meaningful Access Consulting. You've been working for yourself True. forever. What should somebody yeah. know before they start their own business, before they decide to work it's for themselves? Yeah, uh, well, first and foremost, it's not easy. It's not like uh, most of this is a turnkey situation where you just get going. You have to let it really invoke something. It has to come from a place of passion. Um, I know when I started my business, when the first year was the most difficult year, I'm a people person. So working out of a home office was extremely challenging for me um, just to be around my only four walls and my ceiling and no social interaction with coworkers, for example. This is pre-pandemic. So nobody was really, I wasn't used to being at home. This was almost 10 years ago. And so I found that what really helped me was to go to a local coffee shop, go to its importance, just hear the hustle and bustle of people walking by me and seeing people socially interact really helped me to get into the mindset of like, okay, I'm here, I'm in my community, I'm getting things going. You know, you don't have to have all of the answers, get a good accountant, you know, get good people <laughs> on your team that can support you with the things that maybe you're not the strongest in. Um, but really, as I said, Dave, it's got to come from a place of passion. Um, that's really where you're seeing the most successful entrepreneurs. I would say 95% of entrepreneurs fail within their first year of business. Mm. So if you can make it over that one year hump, um, you can do some incredible things. I definitely want to echo that component of passion. I do not work for myself, but a lot of what I do is about <laughs> self-starting. And if I didn't love what I do every day, this would be a very, very difficult job. And I can certainly say that my friends in the entrepreneurship world, the ones who are successful and happy with their lives are the ones who have great passion for what they do. So many times the business came after the passion. They found something yes. they love to do and figured out the business afterwards and then built it for years and years and years. I think about my cousin who started a small martial arts gym in Montreal. Now he owns a couple. I mean, he works his tail off like 18, 20 hours a day, training, yes. working, <laughs> traveling. But the fact is it all came from the fact I love doing this every day. A hundred percent, David. And you know, I gotta be honest, like somebody was crazy years ago when they decided to throw a mic in a nine-year-old's hand, my hand, uh, and say, hey, do you have something interesting to say? And I, I realized that maybe this is something that I could use as a tool for good, is use my voice. And I've been able to take that passion for speaking and lighting a fire in people into a real business that not only is now supporting myself, but my wife is now part of my team in a full-time capacity. And it's rubbing off my daughters, uh, my daughter, I should say, my I uh, was saying to the producers before we went live um, that my daughter, Stella, who I've talked about on the show before, she's only 19 months. She doesn't watch cartoons or Coco Melon or anything like this. I'm kidding. I, I'm not kidding you when I tell you her favorite shows are Dragon's Den, Shark Tank, uh, uh, <laughs> MasterChef, and American Ninja Warrior. So she is influenced by the things she sees around our home about physical activity, about entrepreneurship. And at 19 months, she's already talking about cost of goods sold and your 
unique selling proposition. <laughs> and it's just, it's crazy for me that that's, you know, part of her lexicon, I guess we'll say. <laughs> All right. So 18 years from now, we'll find her in some MBA program, some excellent MBA program, maybe a Harvard Business School or, or somewhere else. Uh, Marco, as you pointed out, you literally just launched a new business, like within the last couple of months, launched a new business. But I've been asking people this all month long whenever we're talking about employment and disability, especially inside the entrepreneurship context. If I could do it all over, or if you told me today, Dave, you've got to do something completely different. I've said this before. I would start a laundromat, dry cleaner, and ideally in the same complex, have a convenience store right next to it. I think I would enjoy that work. I've previously worked uh, for McGill Athletics where I used to wash the like the sports team's equipment and wash like their uniforms. And it gave me such a sense of joy and accomplishment because it was straightforward, but it was also fun. And I still got to interact with people. And there was always that sense of pleasure when I finished something. What would you yes. do? Wow. Uh, well, so I've been involved for years also as an actor, but uh, outside of the acting industry, Dave, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm an avid poker player. So I actually, before launching my business officially 10 years ago, my, my initial business, um, I, I wanted to pursue being a professional poker player. Um, but but Karen, my wife, she talked me out of it due to the volatility of those types of uh, stakes <laughs> and games and things like this. But I'm actually very good. I've, I've uh, won my way onto the captain's table uh, when I've uh, gone on a cruise ship. Every single time um, I've gone on a cruise ship, I've won my way onto the captain's table, which is the final tournament table when you play poker on a cruise ship. Uh, and, I, and I just love poker, so I probably would pursue uh, professional poker. Okay, note to self, Marco's invitation to my Sunday night poker game lost in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to show up to Marco's house. Uh, Mar Marco, thank you for this. It's always a pleasure chatting. Thanks, Dave. And I really love that we were able to delve into the topic of entrepreneurship. It means a lot to me. Yeah, I would say it was definitely a pocket aces kind of a topic for sure. <laughs> That's Marco Pasqua, a former aspiring professional poker player, but now the co-founder of Meaningful Access Consulting. Coming up next, Kim Thistle will review the Netflix film Blonde, a movie about Marilyn Monroe. But first, Ultra. Luxury cars are going electric. Alex Stone fires up the engines in Tech Trends. Tesla, Lucid, and Porsche's EVs can easily top $100,000, but now one of the oldest names in the car business is showing off something for closer to half a million. First fully electric Rolls-Royce Spectre. Rolls-Royce's first electric car, the Spectre, is said to come with 260 miles of range, nearly 600 horsepower, and a more than $400,000 price tag. Company CEO Torsten Mueller-Otvos says the company plans to go all-electric by 2030. A brand is not defined by engine noises, uh, uh, loud exhausts or whatever. We are well known for silent propulsion. The Rolls-Royce is already facing competition. Last week, Cadillac showed off the hand-built Celestic, said to be General Motors' most expensive car ever at $300,000. With Tech Trends, I'm Alex Stone, EBC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's get this week started off with a film review to move us in the right direction. Who better to do that than Kim Thistle in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador? Hey, good morning, Kim. Hey, good morning. How you doing? I'm well, Kim. Today you are offering up a review of Blonde, the Netflix film about Marilyn Monroe. 
even before you hit play, how much did you know about Marilyn Monroe? Were you a fan? Um, I'm not saying I wasn't a fan, but I didn't know a lot. Like I had seen her in Gentlemen Prefer, what was it? Some Like It Hot. And, and you know, you've seen the posters and you've seen the iconic pictures of her. And my my dear friend I hung around with years ago, her she was named Marilyn. She said her mom named her after Marilyn. And she had red hair, but she said everyone loved, you know, Marilyn Monroe during that time, right? So I didn't know. And I had read some snippets and pieces, a bit, little bit of here and there. But I've never sat down and watched a biopic about her. There's been some controversy about this film and what it covers in terms of Marilyn's life. What focus did the film take in regards to Marilyn Monroe's life? Okay, so let's get started. Before I even, like I saw the, the, the preview, you know what I'm saying? Like the little ads and you think, it makes you think that, oh yeah, this is going to be an interesting story about her life and I don't know much about her, you know, I know who she was married to and things like that. So that... It, it, that little little snip does not tell you really how the movie is about. It's completely different. It's disturbing. It's um, it, it's not exactly as I had thought it would be. Usually when I watch a movie, I don't read anything about it. I always watch it myself because I want to mm-hmm. have my own before I do the research. Tim, right? I'm the same way. I like, to, I like to go in completely as a blank slate when I'm consuming art. Yes, and this is what I did with this one. And I said, this should, and then as I'm watching, it's like, oh, my gosh. This is a bit disturbing. I was an hour and 47 minutes in and said, oh, my God, I got to watch the last hour. Now I you know, I got to finish this off. I had to break it up in two parts. Um, it was disturbing. It's, it has um, a lot of, I guess I can get into it now, what it is. It, it's not the biopic as in you are getting the story about Marilyn, like, you know, rise to fame and everything. It's, it's taken in a way, like the cinematography is really well done. The, the description was good. But it's done in the way of looking through her eyes, hypothetically. That's what I need to say, because this is a fictionalized yes. account about Marilyn Monroe. This is not, because as I finished the movie, at the last hour, I said, okay, I'll watch this, I'll finish it off. Then I said, oh, I want to know if these are things are true. Did this really happen? And then my shock to find out this was completely fictionalized. fictionalized. Like, there was, none of this was basically true. Like, yes, it's true, the marriages she had and her rise to fame and the movie. But when it came to, down to some of the things like they referenced to abortion, there's no evidence that she had had abortion. And, and it, in the movie, it's done really quite graphically. So I'm sure we'll, that'll be another question you'll ask me about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was based on a book that's largely been discredited, discredited as fictionalized. That said, it still tells an interesting story using a famous person as a backdrop. So let's get into the performance because those are big right. shoes to fill. Marilyn Monroe was a charismatic, captivating character who has let, who's well stood the test of time. How are the performances by the cast in this one? Okay, so the cast, we have a Cuban, Cuban actress playing Marilyn and Norma Jean, because Norma Jean it was Anna de Amanas. I had never seen her, but she, and she starred in James Bond movie, No Time to Die, and Knives Out, and now in Blonde. She, Blade, she had done a great job, I have to say. Like, she, to me, you know, me looking in and seeing old pictures and clips of, of um, Marilyn Monroe, I thought she captured the essence because that innocence and that wide eye beauty and at the same time, the struggling with her two personas, like is she Marilyn or is she Norma Jean? Like I thought she did a good job with that. Um, the other actor is Arthur Miller, her, who was her third husband with mm. Adrian. He's an actor that we were well aware of. Joe DiMaggio, 
was played by Bobby Cannavale, and he's, I, I remember him from um, Will and Grace, but he's been in other movies. Um, and her mom, Gladys, was Julianne Nicholson. And now Marilyn's mom, in real life, truly did was mentally unstable, and she was diagnosed with um, paranoid schizophrenia. We do see that in this movie, and as I said, it, it was disturbing. The movie was great actors, like nothing against them, but it's a fictionalized account, and I have to keep saying that because you have to go go in realizing, like you said, it's based on the novel by um, Joyce Carol Oates, made to play by the director Andrew Dominic. Brad Pitt is one of the producers. It had really great reviews at the Venice Film Festival. It's an hour and 47 minutes, NC-17 rating, which means this is not under 17, you can watch it with your parents, you know, an adult. This is graphic. Mm. Like there's sexual assault, there's abortion, there's substance abuse, violence towards women, probable suicide, and abuse from her mother. So. I found it disturbing. My friend and I were watching it, actually. He's in Nova Scotia. I'm here in Newfoundland. And we said, let's watch this movie together. He had to bow out within the first 10, 15 oh, minutes. Oh, wow. Wow. I can't watch this. So, Kim, I, I, I don't mean to re-traumatize you here in talking about <laughs> that and going a little bit further into it. But some of the greatest movies of all time are unsettling and disturbing. Clockwork Orange, right. Requiem for a Dream. These are movies yeah. where you walk out of them and you think, goodness gracious, what did I just consume? So was it unsettling and graphic in a way that makes the film unwatchable? Or is it just something that's going to make you uncomfortable as a viewer? Oh, that's a good question. Because I, it was, if there's a way of doing it tastefully, and I use that in air quotes, right? Like we know that she is being beaten by, you know, Joe DiMaggio, the character, but we don't see it. Like they go behind the, um, the wall, but we're told, like describe video teller that he's hitting her with a belt. And you, you know, so it's, was it the way, I hate using the word tastefully done, because I, I just feel like that takes away, I don't want to minimize the violence, or I don't want to accept the violence as well. Maybe artistically done would be the turn of phrase there. What's the turn, what phrase? Instead Sorry. of saying tastefully done, we'd say artistically done. Artistically. Okay, creative. That's even better. Creatively done. That's the best. That's a really good way to put it because cinematography was done that way. But it's like, why did they have to add all these things to sensationalize a story that's not even true on a based on a true person? Like they could have picked someone. They could have. Yes, you could write a story and um, it could have been Jane somebody, you know, but I guess that doesn't draw the people in. It doesn't get the, the reviews and it doesn't get people interested in reading your book. When you put a, a true icon as Marilyn Monroe uh, as a title and you're writing a fictional story about her. And it's unfortunate, I mean, this woman was intelligent. She was well-read. She set up a production company. She thought she would, she included for African-American rights, like st stood up for Ella Fitzgerald. So we're not seeing that in this movie. Mm. Uh, Kim, you mentioned before that the audio description was fairly well done here. Take me just a bit further into how the how the description was handled in this film. Oh, very good. Like I was very surprised. Like I probably wanted a better movie. So, I mean, even as I'm like I wrote down, like Norma Jean tries to compose herself as she goes as she gazes at her gray-haired mother dozing in a chair. Like it describes, like, you know, we got the picture. Her mom is dozing in the chair and, and Norma Jean is trying to, you know, compose herself after having seen her mom in 10 years. 
in the bedroom, Arthur studies her with sad eyes, you know? And those things were well done. And, you know, the glamour eyes and, and, you know, radiant Marilyn smiling into the camera. And and they described the type of lighting. Like, the movie starts off in a bang. Like, I really liked it when it said, flash bulb splashes, a large spotlight silhouettes a movie, a movie scene. And Marilyn twists her body with a radiant smile. Like, it starts right that. And I mm. said, oh, wow, it's going to be good to describe. But then, you know, <laughs> then the topic and then graphic became a bit graphic. So that's where we'll finish the conversation here, Kim. I get the impression that maybe this film has left you with mixed feelings. Overall, how would you rate it? And you know what? That's what I struggled with when I watched it. When I went back in to watch the last hour last night, because I watched an hour and a half on Saturday and then watched it last night. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe this is not so bad. Maybe this is a good thing. That I, I you know, feel bad for her. I, she was a tragic figure, and I want to get to know more about it. And then when I read that it was all fictionalized, well, I cheaper. I wasted three hours of my life. <laughs> you how I feel about it. Like, you know, like they're, they're glamorizing, like anti-abortion. We're, we're making a case for anti-abortion propaganda. We're making a case for violence against women in a sense. Like that's so many of the views that I'm seeing online and the way that I felt about it too. So I'm not, I, I don't even know who to recommend this movie. And I think the more we talk about it, are we not giving it, Attention, does that make sense? Mm, yeah, yeah, we're platforming it by giving it all that extra attention for sure. Well, Kim, hopefully the next time we have you do a review, we can pick something a little bit lighter that isn't quite as traumatizing. I feel like, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if this was your choice or Paul Daniels' choice, but I feel like, Paul, I feel like Paul always hits you with the heavy stuff, you know? I chose it because I really thought that it, the, the little snip preview made me think, oh, this is going to be interesting learn about Marilyn a bit more, right? Well, uh, next week, Amy Amanti is reviewing the Jeffrey Dahmer uh, series on Netflix. So just we're going from uh, light material with Kim this week to uh, serial killers and cannibalism next week. Just, There's nothing light this week either. So <laughs> <laughs> it's heavy month what you're doing. <laughs> heavy month. Yeah, who needs escapism via entertainment? No, no, no. Just keep uh, driving into the dirt. Kim, yeah. I'm always glad, even the, even when the, uh, the material is a little more intense, I'm always glad that we get to check in. Thank you for slogging through this one for us, and we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Yes, thanks. Take care. Happy Halloween. <laughs> That's happy Halloween indeed. That's Kim Thistle, film reviewer for us in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador with a review of the Netflix film Blonde, which as Kim mentioned, NC-17, uh, some graphic violence, drug use, etc. So maybe not one for the whole family, but uh, if you're feeling a little perturbed and disturbed, maybe you can uh, jump into that one on Netflix. Let's wrap up the hour with a couple of news stories. Between me finalizing the script and the show beginning, there is a new prime minister in England. Rishi Sunak, a former finance minister, will be the successor to Liz Truss. Boris Johnson, the former PM, pulled out of the race over the weekend and it looked like uh, Rishi Sunak was the only person who could get 100 people to support him inside the House of Parliament in England. So at some point over the course of the next few days, there will be a new prime minister in England. In China, their president has been appointed to a third term. Julie Walker has that story. 
Xi Jinping took power in 2012. In a break with tradition, he was awarded his third five-year term as general secretary at the end of the party's Central Committee meeting Sunday. The party also named a seven-member standing committee, its inner circle of power, to support his vision of tighter control over society and the struggling economy. The all-sitting beings man. Jean-Pierre Cabestan is an expert in Chinese politics at Hong Kong Baptist University. The danger is when there is less pluralism, less debate, um, more concentration of power. Meanwhile, questions swirl after former Chinese President Hu Jintao was suddenly escorted off stage Saturday. I'm Julie Walker. That's all the time we have for the first hour of the show. We'll be back again in a couple of moments. We'll have the regional news update, and Brock Richardson will be here for a sports chat. But in the meantime, don't forget you can always reach out to the show by sending us emails, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. You can find us on social media, at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, or give us a phone call, 1-866-509-4545, one 509 this is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's the Monday, October 24th edition of now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Coming up in the second hour of the show, the sixth annual Nova Scotia Open Goalball Championship is coming back in November. Ryan Delahanty will tell you about some volunteer opportunities. And Netflix is launching an ad-supported tier at a lower price. Marco Flalo will consider whether people want commercials with their streaming. But let's begin the hour with the regional news update. Starting in British Columbia, residents of a group home in Kamloops were forced to leave when a fire erupted yesterday afternoon. Captain Jim Gorman of the Kamloops Fire Rescue Platoon says the home has extensive structural damage and is not habitable. He says the fire appears to have started around the kitchen area. Three people who were in the home managed to get out and are expected of climate change. The Kenai Nation is building a beaver along the river to stabilize the banks and provide shade for the water. Kenzie Fox is the Environmental Protection Manager with Blood Tribe Land Management. Fox says it can be difficult to incorporate traditional practices because so much was lost due to colonial impacts. A lot of knowledge is hard to find. A lot of it was lost when uh, colonization happened and um, residential schools. So a lot of that knowledge wasn't passed on or preserved. One of the project's goals is to gather traditional knowledge, document it, and then pass that knowledge on to future generations. Over to Ontario, where Toronto police have released two people who they thought were linked to a suspicious package that prompted a shutdown of the city's downtown island airport. Brenda Molina-Navidad has the story. Toronto police say both people of interest who had been detained were released after an extensive investigation, adding no charges were laid. They say they're confident Saturday's incident was isolated and there's no further risk to the public. The discovery of the suspected device near the mainland ferry terminal prompted an evacuation of the area and a halt to flights at the Billy Bishop Airport. Officers conducted a controlled detonation of the device. Flights resumed at the airport this morning morning and those evacuated were allowed to return to their homes. 
Brenda Molina Navidad, The Canadian Press, Toronto. And let's finish in Atlantic Canada, where a former orphanage for black children in Nova Scotia has been renovated and reopened with an inclusive purpose. Nicole Reese explains. Kitty Place is located in the building that housed the former Nova Scotia Home for Colored Children, which opened in 1921. The Halifax area building sat empty for many years following the orphanage's closure in 1978 until a local black-led charity, Acoma Holdings, launched a restoration effort in 2016 and was granted municipal heritage status in August. Acoma Board President Kathleen Mitchell says Kitty Place will enhance the services available to the African Nova Scotian community and include an area of reflection and healing. Nicole Reese, the Canadian Press. That's your look at the regional news. Now we can bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. So, Brock, not long after we spoke on Friday, some news emerged out of the tennis world. One of the top players in the women's game, Simona Halap, has failed a drug test. Brock, you are a former elite athlete. What's your take on the failed drug test? So uh, there's a couple of places I want to go with this. Number one is let's let's get uh, straight what the drug is used for that she took. It's called Roxadoscat, uh, and I, I might have pronounced that totally wrong, but it's close. Um, and this drug is used for low iron, and even some patients uh, with dialysis use this. In a statement, um, Simona wrote, the idea of cheating never even crossed my mind. It's totally against my morals and values and everything I've been educated with. I will fight to the end. It's not about money. It's about the principle of what took place. Now, that to me sounds like athlete speak. Um, she says it was a trace amount. Now, this drug, as I was uh, doing some quick Googling is used, as I said, for um, f- for what it's used for. And this is the only purpose for this drug. So it's not like it's in something else and there's a trace of this drug. It is used for anemia and that's it. Now, the thing about this, Dave, is that your doctor and you, when you're a high-level athlete, need to be aware that you're a high-level athlete and you both need to kind of realize what it is you're taking and what is in each ingredient because minute or not does not you know negate whether you took the drug the fact is it's an illegal drug in the tennis world and that's it if she can prove herself to say that she accidentally took it or didn't knowingly take it then fine but as an athlete that's hard to do when it's in your uh, specimen test and you know it's I have trouble with this with athletes because you often get the, I didn't do it. I didn't mean to. Well, obviously not, because if you meant to, we're having a whole different discussion. Right. That if there is a therapeutic use exemption, which do exist from time to time, that if that if Simona Halep has anemia, has low iron, that from time to time there are negotiations you can go to with governing bodies and get a therapeutic use exemption. But if this was a mistake then that means there was no therapeutic use exemption, which speaks to some of the 
Uh, difficulties in monitor, monitoring doping more generally in regards to what people are using. There's also a lot, Brock, I'm sure you've seen this, of the over-the-counter stuff where people are just walking into whatever supplement store and saying, give me that, 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 and that. And they're not even looking at what's in the ingredients. They pop positive, and the next thing you know, they're telling you SADA or, the, or WADA, well, you know, I, I took a supplement over-the-counter. That must have been where it came from. Well, you're an elite athlete. You can't just be walking into Popeye's and grabbing over-the-counter subs. Yeah, no, and and that's the thing, and that's where I kind of get a little bit frustrated is that, like, I was so cautious. Like, I would not take anything without going online because this is how easy it is out there, folks. You can go online and say, I need a list, in this case, of the tennis, you know, banned substance list, and it's very easily accessible, and you can literally type in the 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 numbers that correlate with the drug you're taking and it either says ban in out of competition or both. So it is very simple to do. You just have to take an extra two, three, four minutes to determine whether that drug is banned or isn't. So for me as a former elite athlete, I mean, Dave, uh, I wouldn't even walk near someone that was, you know, smoking uh, marijuana which is now legal not in sports but it's now legal in society so that's why you weren't hanging out with me i understand now (laughs) uh you wouldn't no not necessarily (laughs) but um we're hanging out now that was a good time on the the weekend (laughs) it uh you know but but i was so careful because all through sports you said well if you take this you're going to get ruined your name is going to get you know slammed through media sport canada was not shameful in saying if you take something and even if it's in your hair follicles and someone else does xyz that doesn't mean that you get exempt because if it's on you we can't determine whether it's you whether it's someone else it still falls on you if it's on your own person and you have to be responsible for what you put in and out of your body so for Mm -hmm. me I don't have a lot of patience for this, and yeah. And these things follow you. Look at someone like uh, the elite boxer Canelo Alvarez, tested positive once, and everybody he fights will say, ah, I'm fighting that cheater again, fighting that cheater again. Okay, Brock, let's turn over to the football world. On Friday, (laughs) you and I said there was no chance in the world that the Carolina Panthers were going to beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Carolina beat them 21-3. Let's listen to some sound from Bucks wide receiver Mike Evans, who says... Their offense didn't deliver. That's what it was feeling, feeling like. I mean, it didn't seem like tough out there. Uh, we were getting one-on-one matchups. Um, we made some plays here and there, but when we needed plays the most, we didn't make them. Brock, two humiliating losses in a row for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What are we looking at here? What's your reaction? My reaction is that at times, uh, Tom Brady has just looked aghast he's look lost he's making throws and it's not even near receivers it's he's just pitching the football and I think a lot of this Dave is is out of frustration because he knows he's better than that um everyone knows he's better than that but as I've said he's getting older and at some point we need to discuss is his age catching up to him and this is the first time since 2002 that Tom Brady has had an under 500 record at three and four. So um, do I, do I ever want to write out Tom Brady? 
no. But against a team like Carolina, you kind of go, that should have been pretty pretty simple uh, for you, to be honest. But I, I'm seeing a lot of frustration on the Tampa Bay sideline, and that can't be good. Father time comes for us all. And Tom Brady's time seems to have lasted a little bit longer with his lack of eating strawberries. It seemed to have really worked for him. But we have to consider, 45, <laughs> 45 years old, he did briefly retire during the offseason. He came back and allegedly had the head coach fired because he didn't want to play for Bruce Arians anymore. Okay, sure. Tom Brady going through a very public divorce right now with Giselle Bunchen. He ended up missing about a week and a half of training camp, which where there was a lot of opportunities to get reps with his wide receivers there. He didn't get those opportunities. We're also dealing with the fact where the majority of the Buccaneers offensive line is going through injuries. Tom Brady at 45 years old, this guy's not mobile. You have to block for him. And then you finally get down to the fact that it seems like his personal commitment isn't there beyond the very public divorce. Last Friday, not this past Friday, but the Friday previous before they lost to Pittsburgh, he went to a wedding on Friday night. He went to Robert Kraft, Patriots, Patriots owner's wedding, on a Friday night instead of being with his team and missed the team walk through the next Saturday. Tom Brady for years was anointed as the team guy. He's the team guy, takes care of himself, takes care of the team. Brock, it seems like Tom Brady's getting a little selfish here or at least portraying the attributes of someone who's a little bit selfish here, and I think that's trickling down across the roster. And you know something, Dave, what you just hit on of, you know, going to, to Robert Kraft's wedding and, and, you know, missing training camp due to a very public divorce, that's fine. But when your priorities start to change and you're no longer that team guy you really need to step back and say am i doing what's best for myself for my team and there's a reason i put myself there first because you are number one i had to step back in in uh, 2016 and 17 and say where am i going am i going towards media am i going towards sports which one am i going to because i could not give the time to either of those the way that I should have if I was doing both. And so for me, the priority changed. I, I started a relationship. I got married, all those things. And so those things are in factor. And Tom Brady doesn't have to prove a thing. Not a thing. A thing. It's not like it's not like he's missing, you know, Super Bowl rings, MVP. He's got it all. So really, there's nothing he's going to prove anymore. He needs to focus on himself and to be honest with you, you know, earlier this – a couple of weeks ago, I saw it in the media that he had no plans of retiring. Uh, I think you really need to actually start to think about having plans to retire and move on and because clearly you're putting yourself first, which is fine, but you need to recognize that you're doing that and you're not putting your team where it needs to be. Even the greats, it can go away quickly. Peyton Manning was an MVP – and 18 months later, he could barely throw the ball 10 yards. That's how these things go. It, it, it's irrelevant what you, did what you did behind you. The human body in a physical game like that will break down on you. Brock, let's get to another stunner from yesterday. Although maybe not a stunner if you've been watching the Green Bay Packers closely the last month or so. Green Bay falls to the Washington Commanders 23-21 in what ended up being a pretty exciting end to the game, but that's neither here nor there. Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers, I've got a clip from him saying, the pack attack, it's whack. We don't execute at all on offense. 
in certain situations. Um, simple things, we're behind the sticks, we're, you know, penalties, or uh, dropping balls, we're not putting balls in the right spot. Um, it's not winning football. Oof, it's getting ugly down there in Green Bay, Brock. It is, and I saw on uh, another media source this morning someone say he looks like a Jedi in his post games, where he looks very, you know, done up and and looks good. He does not look that way on the field, and that's where he earns his money. I I think there's more going on with Green Bay than than meets the eye. I think Aaron Rodgers and the and the winning culture has always been in question. Again, this is another team that I'm not willing to write off with the way that the wild card has been extended. I do think they're going to end up getting there. But again, when you have an under um, 500 record like they do as well, it's it, you kind of start to have to question what it is they're doing. And just because you are who you are, in this case, Rodgers, doesn't mean that it's automatically all going to click for you. And oh, I'm Aaron Rodgers and I can make this work. No, things have to go the right way. And you know what? And I know this is going to sound like a real surprise, but that other football team, whoever you're playing, in this case, Washington, they are a football team too. They they want to win too. It's not these games where you think, well, it's, they, it's a right off. They are, they are a football team. In fact, for a couple of years, they called themselves the football team. <laughs> right. Exactly. And they, you know, and so, so every team, even weak, strong or anything in between, they are football teams, and you can't take teams lightly. And I'm not saying in this case uh, Green Bay has done that, but I think sometimes when you look at the schedule and you go, oh, that's guaranteed, that's guaranteed, this one we might struggle with, you, you can't do that in, in professional sports because everybody wants to win. And when you are as elite as as Rodgers and some of the other quarterbacks, those guys want to want to win too. They're like, we, we want to beat Aaron Rodgers. We want to kick him while he's down that that gives teams some extra motivation when a good quarterback is down and out it's like we're we're, we're coming for blood here and we want to we want to win so these easy wins i i don't i don't buy it you mm. got to do what you need to do as a team to to win and if you don't you're not going to win the organization has done aaron Rodgers no favor they've let that offensive line fall apart for years letting star players go and retire and not drafting players to replace them they also traded their top wide receiver in the offseason and went into the draft and got late round draft picks to try and replace Devonte adams and aaron Rodgers is throwing to absolute bums out there it makes life pretty difficult but aaron, aaron Rodgers is also accountable he spent the offseason demanding trades and contract extensions and then very publicly talking about having many experiences consuming ayahuasca as a hallucinogenic drug to center himself maybe spending <laughs> the offseason consuming ayahuasca <laughs> is not how you prepare to be a professional athlete just saying <laughs> just saying uh brock let's skip the night game the fact is nobody cares about the pittsburgh steelers and the miami dolphins except for me and frankly i went to bed at halftime and so did the offenses so let's leave it there 16 10 win for the dolphins <laughs> Tua was okay on the field he did take oh, one hit right to the head and i gasped audibly and i'm like maybe i should stop watching football and then i moved on brock let's go to the baseball world the philadelphia phillies are making their way to the world series after beating the padres bryce harper is the nlcs mvp i've got some sound here Harper describing what he felt after hitting a critical home run in the eighth inning yesterday. I just looked at my dugout and kind of, it's for all of them. It's for this whole team. It's for this whole organization. We haven't been here for a long time. It's for every single fan that is here now and that isn't here. Um, 
you know, it's for all of them. Brock, the San Diego Padres are sitting here this morning probably kicking themselves because they blew two different leads on the weekend on their way to being eliminated. But you wanted to give a little bit of a shout-out here to Rob Thompson, who's the manager who took over Joe Girardi's job in the middle of the season in Philadelphia. Yes, I I wrote Joe Madden and meant Joe Joe Girardi. Um, Yeah, Rob Thompson, listen, he he deserves everything he's got here. Uh, first Canadian manager to uh, to take a team to the World Series, which is really cool. I've always liked the little Canadian spin on this. I think this is cool. I like Philadelphia as a team. Um, they they play baseball the right way. They they just they hit home runs. They do the extra little things. They steal bases. Like it's just such a a flashy team to watch and I and I really do think that they are going to be uh, competitive in the World Series I would say that the Houston Astros would have the edge on this I, I also said that San Diego would have the edge on uh, on this series see where that got me they're out they're done so <laughs> don't take my word for it out there but that's just my feeling I, I want to go back to uh, Bryce Harper just quickly the guy, the guy was ridiculous. In this series alone, he had uh, eight hits, five RBIs, and two home runs. He's wow. got a total of 11 extra base hits in the postseason, which is a record. So Bryce Harper, as Bryce Harper goes, so do the Philadelphia Phillies, which is quite clear in this case as well. So really great, uh, really, mm-hmm. really great series totally i feel myself on that bandwagon big time i'm loving the phillies Uh, you mentioned a couple of those big names i'll mention the fact that philadelphia year in year out was spending money in free agency trying to bring in talented players john segura the shortstop jt rio muto the catcher jt rio muto the fastest catcher playing baseball speed matters and if your catcher can be fast that says something i'm big into the phillies but let's talk about the other side of this brock because the houston astros swept the new york yankees rookie shortstop jeremy pena won the alcs mvp he says this has been a team effort through and through a lot of work that went into this you know a lot of blood sweat and tears you know and uh this team stuck with one another. You know, we rooted for one another, and we picked each other up all year, and we battled all year, and uh, it's great to be here at this point. Brock, I don't know which team is more disliked, the Astros or the Yankees, so I'm just happy that one of their fan bases is sad this morning. But uh, your reaction to the Astros bringing up the brooms and sweeping the Yanks? Um, I'm really, really surprised by this series. I, When I saw this series, I thought for sure it would be a – five, six, or seven game series. I did not think one team or the other uh, would would sweep the series. I just really thought that it would be um, it would be different. But Houston, again, is one of those teams that's a complete team. And I know there's some of you out there that would say, well, yeah, Houston cheated when they cheated. Yeah, they did. Um, but they are also a really good team in, in what they've done. And the other thing is I want to I wanna talk about these, these MVP awards and, and just tell you that if anyone out there says that these MVP awards are not important, you lie. Because if you can, if you can say you were the MVP of a, uh, an American League championship series or even better yet, a World Series, that means something mm-hmm. to these players. Uh, they are, 
they are team first and that's where they should be. But it really, truly means something to these guys when they win uh, MVP. I think they'd rather win the uh, World Series MVP than American League and National League champion. But hey, something is there for them. Mm -hmm. And this does mean something to them for sure, Dave. I like the idea of series MVPs. We should bring that into more sports in these playoff series. You know, not just one Conn Smythe or one NBA Finals MVP. We need to be doing this every round. I like that idea a lot. Brock, we got to scoot, but we'll do a proper World Series preview ahead of game one. For now, you enjoy what's going to be a terrible Monday night football game. I can't believe we keep getting the Bears in primetime. It's unbelievable to me, but we move on and we survive and probably watch hockey instead. Brock, have a good there's night. There's a good hockey game tonight, though. That's Pittsburgh and Edmonton. That, that's a, there's a good hockey Boom. game for you. So there you go. If you're Although annoyed by football, there it is. I am definitely annoyed by football tonight. Brock, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's Brock Richardson. He's the host of the Neutral Zone. Alex Smythe is here. He has the National Weather Update. Unfortunately, Dave, as a Bears fan, I'm going to be stuck watching football. So, uh, (laughs) but enough about that. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're going to start in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it's a mix of sunny clouds and a high of 17. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's cloudy with rain this afternoon and up to four millimeters expected with a high of 18. In St. John, New Brunswick, rain off and on today with up to 10 millimeters expected and a high of 16. Over to Quebec City, Quebec. It's a mix of sunny clouds with showers possible this afternoon, and 17 is the high. In Toronto, Ontario, it's sunny and a high of 18. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, it's a mix of sunny clouds with a chance of showers and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour, with 19 being the high. Over to Brandon, Manitoba, it's showers and possible thunderstorms that will turn to light snow later and up to 15 millimeters is expected uh, to fall today with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour and a high of five over to regina saskatchewan it's periods of snow and then cloudy with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and minus one is the high to lethbridge alberta it's a mix of sun and clouds with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour and a high of six in red deer alberta it's a mix of sun and clouds with possible rain and a high of seven. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, snow off and on today with up to four centimeters expected and a high of zero. Well, that's a boots day right there, four centimeters. There, exactly. And now moving over to BC, uh, gladly there's some more rain coming. So there's rain this morning in Kelowna, BC that's going to turn to a mix of sun and clouds later and a high of nine. And finally, in Vancouver, BC, there's rain this morning as well. And then it will be cloudy in the afternoon with possible rain later on in the day with a high of 12. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Netflix is launching an ad-supported tier at a lower price. Marco Flalo considers whether people want commercials with their streaming. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's turn to the world of technology and entertainment, where Netflix is launching an ad-supported payment tier for Canadians on November the 1st. The monthly fee will be $5.99, and you'll have to sit through about four to five minutes of commercial per hour of content consumed. Sitting through commercials while streaming, it's a bit polarizing, so let's get into it with the host of Double Tap TV, Marco Flalo, and you can find that show Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Hey, good morning, Mark. Good Monday to you, Dave Brown. Mark, let's dive right into it. What do you think of the idea? Oh, boy. I mean, you know what? As someone who's grown up with commercials, I'm okay with it. I understand it. It makes sense. You're, that's a significant amount of savings for you to have to deal with four to five minutes of commercials per hour. That being said, I haven't experienced it yet. I don't know where they're going to be putting these ads. I don't know how annoying these ads are going to be. Is it going to be like watching you know, Global On Demand where it's like the same oh, two commercials that brutal. rotate over and over and over again? But to an audience that's younger, that has never experienced and really hasn't grown up with live television, it's going to be jarring. It's going to be extremely jarring. But that's also going to be the market that's going to really gravitate towards that cheaper price point. Mark, anecdotally, I can tell you that I've been feeling the increase in advertising and streaming. Amazon Prime loves to do pre-rolls. They'll hit you with an ad right before the content starts. doesn't bother me too, too much. But I've, I've even noticed that now, even in Spotify, even though I'm a premium subscriber, I'm getting hit with all kinds of embedded ads in podcasts. Not podcast ads, embedded Spotify ads inside the podcasts. Does it feel like it's becoming more prevalent? Is my anecdotal observation uh, backed up by any data? Um, I absolutely backed up by data. And the fact of the matter is, is that people are finding, trying to find new ways to get their ads in front of advert or consumers. Advertisers are trying to get in front of consumers and the platforms are trying to monetize it. They really want to find new forms of revenue, even though this whole subscription model was how they started and they loved it. People are getting a little bit greedy, I think, in my opinion. If you look at even YouTube, for example, now YouTube oh. is a, a bit different because, you know, it's free. We're not it's paying for it. It's brutal, though, the yeah, way they roll up the advertising. It's, it's, it's two ads in front. Normally, you can fast forward once you've watched about five seconds of it, or and then you get the next ad, which you can normally skip right away. But this is constantly evolving and constantly changing, and I feel like they're just they're pushing it as far as they can until people – have some backlash, then they kind of backtrack a little bit and then they try to push it a little bit more and they see how far we can go before really pissing off consumers. When it comes to a paid platform like Netflix, listen, as long as my paid tier doesn't have ads, I'm okay with it. But if I was just getting into it and it was something that um, I wasn't expecting, I think it would be extremely jarring. And I think people new to the platform who go for that cheaper price tier are going to be in for a little bit of a surprise. Five to six, four to five minutes an hour, that's a lot of time. Yeah, that's a lot I, of commercial time. I wonder if they're going to find a best practice here because you mentioned the pre-roll approach and I really am not bothered by the pre-roll approach. Yeah. Much like in my life when I'm partying, I don't mind having a couple pre-rolls laying around. But it's when you get into the middle of some content and just the ads start popping up over and over and over again. I think like during a TV, like during a TV show, if they're doing this, maybe as I'm in the middle of my binge. So every time a new episode starts, it might actually stop me from over binge watching. <laughs> if a couple ads yeah. pop up here and there, but if I'm in like the middle of a movie or in the middle of like a one hour episode, then just like right in the middle, boom, here's, here's the same ad three times in a row. I am going to pull my hair out. Now, think about the different types of content we're consuming too, right? So there's that 
episodical episodic content that is normally on on live TV. So the NCISs of the world, the the survivors of the world, that are designed to have commercial breaks, right? So to utilize those spots, and if they happen to air on a streaming platform, to put commercials there, yes, it's annoying that the same commercials repeat because they're not selling much, but the fact that there are already natural positions for it is okay with me. It doesn't bother me as much because it's designed to be there. Take a show that's streaming first, you know, look at some of the Disney plus shows, some of the Marvel shows, mm. you know, some of the stuff we're watching on, on, on Netflix or, or prime that are designed for streaming to interrupt those midstream that bothers me because these shows are not designed and not written to be consumed in a traditional TV format. By nature, that's what they're doing. They're there to make the streaming form that give you more content and great content. Can you imagine if you're watching a show and suddenly something's about to happen and they stop for an ad that's not supposed to be there? I'd be really annoyed. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, though, Mark, the five ninety nine price tag offers some appeal. My most recent Netflix bill was eighteen fifty four, And uh, I'm certainly at least going to look at the advertising option if if not that, I'm definitely starting to look at the, do I need 4K? Do I need HD? How much can I yeah. actually, like, skimp here? But obviously there's some people in my life who I do share the account with, uh, totally, like, legally within the Netflix framework. But uh, but even then I wonder about that, about, oh, my gosh, okay, if I'm going to go this lower tier, is that going to mess up other people, my, my parents in my life as well, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's something to consider, definitely. It's It's... I'm going to try it as well just to see how bad it is, <laughs> see, <laughs> see how annoying it might be just because, you know, obviously for research purposes, Dave. Obviously. Um, but, you know, $18, it's funny when you say the 18 bucks and you, and you say that's expensive, you have to almost – you have to look at the grand scheme of things because it's 18 for Netflix. It's another 15 for Disney. It's another, you know, 10 bucks for Prime. It's It, it adds up. Mm -hmm. Like I'm probably paying more for streaming services now than I was paying for cable. When that, I I'm kind of okay with when I when I first subscribed to DAZN for the NFL package, it was like yeah. 120 a year, and they've now jacked the price to almost 300 a year. Even at oh. that point, I'm like, oh man, you guys, they, they, they know they have me. They know they have me because they know I love me, my NFL on demand on all my devices in a way that that even subscribing to TSN and Sportsnet doesn't give me. But my goodness, like it's it when you start getting to that price point, you're like, this is really pricey. And again, it's all part of as you say that ecosystem of where does amazon fit where does netflix fit where does tsn fit where does sportsnet fit where do all these things come together for me and that's why you see these big big kind of public battles about rights you know you look at something like nfl something like nhl something like cfl okay let's use nhl nfl is the example right it is so sought after that anywhere you put that people are going to subscribe to whether the price is 20 dollars, whether the price is 300 dollars. clearly they've made the case for that TV is trying to go down that route. They're trying to make compelling, and they always have. They're trying to make mm. compelling enough shows so that you tune into their network, so that you watch the ads, so that they make money. Everybody's trying to figure out how to get money back that they may have lost to some of the streaming providers. The streaming providers themselves are trying to take money away from the other streaming providers. It's going to be a cyclical battle that we're going to be going through for a very long time. I think at the end of the day, consumers are going to have the power, or at least the power to voice their frustration with it, and be able to actually play some kind of role in influencing the decision on how much is too much and how much is or or how little is too little. Yeah. We're I think gonna have that power here because we're gonna be able to control that with the amount of money we spend. I think Netflix is in for a big surprise because I think a lot of people are gonna jump from those high priced tiers down to the ad supported one. 
and I don't think that's going to reflect their, you know, revenue in, in a yeah. great grand scheme of things. And then it makes you wonder, uh, oh, no, we need to reprice our ad supported tier. That's now yeah. $10. And we're going to bring down the ad free tier to $15 again just to try and uh, mangle some of those numbers up. Mark, we went a little bit over time here, but I thank you for uh, bearing with us a little bit. Have yourself a great day and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Dave. That's Mark Flalo. He's one of the hosts of Double Tap TV, which you can find Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Coming up after the break, we continue this conversation about commercials and streaming. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's pick up on the conversation we were just having with Marco Flalo about Netflix introducing an ad-supported tier, $5.99 for four to five minutes of commercials per hour. Commercials on Netflix. Let's find out what the crew thinks with Nizreen Abdelmajid, Ramya Emuthin, and Alex Smythe. Nizreen, $5.99, four to five minutes of commercial per hour to get your Netflix for about a third of the price. Yay or nay? Ah, I'm conflicted because when YouTube started the 30 seconds for one ad, I was like, you know what? I can handle it. I can handle waiting 30 seconds, 15 seconds, whatever. But when they added two plus commercials, that's when I was like annoyed and I wasn't, I didn't have patience. Um, and now, so they're up thinking, to, and now they're up to like six to eight commercials for a 10 minute video. Exactly. Exactly. And that's where I'm just, uh, I, I'm I'm conflicted about the Netflix thing because um, that's that's a long time five minutes I don't know I feel like I feel like I am very cheap when it comes to streaming services I mean ask me to pay a hundred dollars for clothes I'm like okay <laughs> but when it comes to <laughs> streaming services I'm a bit cheap on that end and plus my family like we only watch movies once every couple weeks few weeks. So maybe I'll just suck it up for those five, six minutes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At a certain point, I'm going to be like, you know what? Take my $5, take yeah, $6. It, it's a value proposition, right? In the case I, I just mentioned to Marco Flalo, my last Netflix bill was $18.54. And I probably only really use it a couple times a month. So maybe yeah. I suck it up and I pay the five ninety nine. And I sit through some ads when I want to watch Big Mouth, which drops, uh, I think it's this Friday. So I cancel my weekend plans. Uh, Ramya, what about you? Do you think you could uh, tolerate the $5.99 for four to five minutes of, uh, of commercials per hour per content consumed? What do you think? Yay or nay? Yeah, no, I totally don't mind that part of it. I actually think it's a brilliant option to, you know, take the price down so much for a couple of ads an hour. That's the way that I'm thinking about it. But there are other little quirks here with this tier of Netflix. Like we can't download our content. And mm. I think that part of it will throw me off a lot. Like it, as you're saying, maybe you're not using Netflix as much anymore, but I know for a fact that the two things that I need uh, on any plane ride is Audible and Netflix. And if I don't have Netflix shows, like all these, these different things that I don't have time for throughout the, the week, the months, I'm like catching up on when it's time for a, a travel. So if I can't download the content, I don't know. I might be 
upgrading. That's that's a good point. That's one of the things that keeps me subscribed to Spotify Premium is the ability to download a bunch mm-hmm. of content and use it offline. Specifically, when I'm flying, in the way that you like your audiobooks when I'm flying, I like podcasts when I'm flying, and just a nice selection of about a thousand songs to listen to, uh, you know, depending yeah. on my mood as I'm somewhere over Kansas. Alex Smythe, what about you? Where do you stand on this commercials on Netflix conversation? You know, I'm... I have no problem with it. I, I think, uh, as everyone else is saying, it, it's a great option. You know, it's uh, it's a lot cheaper. There's those positives. For me personally, am I going to switch? No, probably not. Like, I like having the ability to just go in, click, stream. I don't have to worry about the commercials. I think Mark made a great uh, point with the uh, during the conversation about going on to, like, you know, the global on demand and, and all these different uh kind of free services, CTV, all those ones. And the ads just drive you crazy because it's every five minutes that you would have like six ads you had to sit through. I tried watching a season of Vikings when I was really getting into it. And I I had to stop after like three episodes because it was just so overwhelming to have five ads every five minutes over the Mm -hmm. course of an episode. And it just drove me crazy. Mm -hmm. So I think it really comes down to where are they placing these ads? Is it just at the beginning? Okay, you know, as we you talked about with with Amazon Prime, it's manageable. You you can uh, deal with it. That's not an issue. But if it's going to be scattered throughout, and are you also going to be able to fast forward or not fast forward like you can't do with certain on demand services like the the CTV, like the the global on demand stuff that can really impact the viewing experience. Yeah, when I've seen the twelfth commercial for like the third commercial break in a row three <laughs> times. I'm like, all yeah. right, we have officially reached the point where I don't need to see this commercial anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's going. To, it's kind of like what you were mentioning earlier, Alex, when there's so many handouts made yeah. for a municipal yeah. election campaign. No, it was it was Eliza. Who mentioned it? Who said Who said that when I when I see the same one over and over again? That, that was me. That was you. Yeah. yeah, so at a certain point, I'm, I'm just completely overwhelmed. So, okay, guys, so final verdict. Alex, would you make the switch? No, I'm I'm keeping it. I'm not going to the high high price plan. I'm keeping, you know, like the the HD not 4K, but that's where I'm staying. Okay, Rumia, would you make the switch? No, not at the moment. I still have my audio described content just saying there's a lot of it on Netflix. There we go. Nazreen, would you make the switch in the end? Perfect time to do washroom breaks, to go for a washroom break, so I'd say I'll I'll stay. I was thinking about that too. How many times am I watching <laughs> something and I'm like, I could use a glass of water, but I don't want to press pause cuz my video game controllers all the way across the room so now i'll be forced to do so that's good i like that guys thank you for this uh ramya you hang out for one more moment for me because you have to tell me what's coming up on this edition of kelly and company on a monday at 2 p.m eastern time on ami audio after the gang took the friday off that's right we all took the friday off but most of us are back today so danielle and i (laughs) danielle mclaughlin we will be hosting the show uh we're chatting with sean priest who you know very well on this show host (gasps) of sean of the shed i know we're stealing him just for a bit oh my gosh i Um, feel cheated upon it's a monday it's nothing like your what thursday talk a little polyamory with sean priest he'll hear about (laughs) this from me Okay, well, looking forward to hearing that. Um, but he's talking about Sean of the Shed, just introducing listeners to the show and the new video podcast, of course. Um, and this podcast gives people a helping hand if you're new to the world of technology. Also, we're chatting O&M again, orientation and mobility with Mark Rankin. He's covering environmental inaccessibilities for people with disabilities. Oh, wow. and. 
Yeah. And to make that like a progressive and productive conversations, we're chatting about the kinds of tools out there now making it easier to deal with these challenges on an orientation mobility level. Uh, and we, of course, have our tech update with Michael Babcock and our sports update with Brock Richardson. Ramya, it was super fun hanging out at a, a colleague's wedding on Friday. Hope you had a lovely weekend and hopefully we get a chance to do that again sometime soon. It was really fun, Dave. That's Rami Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly & Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, the sixth annual Nova Scotia Open Goalball Championship. It's coming back in November. Ryan Dillahanty will tell you about some volunteer opportunities. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's head out to Atlantic Canada to catch up with AMI content development specialist Ryan Delahanty. Hey, good morning, Ryan. Good morning, Dave. How are you today? I'm well. Always fun catching up with you. Ryan, let's start in the world of sports. There's a big goalball tournament coming to Nova Scotia, and there are volunteer opportunities. How can folks get involved? Blind Sports Nova Scotia is looking for volunteer goal judges, timers, and scorekeepers for the upcoming tournament. The shifts will run from about 8 a.m. on Saturday, November 5th until about 4 p.m. Sunday the 6th and are available on a first-come, first-serve basis. Uh, If you are a new volunteer or would like to brush up on your skills, they will be having a fun tournament from 2 to 6 p.m. at the George Dixon Center in Halifax at 2502 Brunswick Street. Uh, This coming Saturday, October 29th, is the fun tournament. Great chance to brush up on your Mm. volunteer skills. And uh, for the tournament proper, of course, meals and snacks will be provided. You'll also receive a great tournament T-shirt that you get to wear during the shift and then keep for your outings afterwards. And uh, they are looking to prioritize experienced volunteers for the final fifth shift, which covers the playoff game. So right. some of the uh, more senior people may uh, get that opportunity to uh, call for the gold. Events like this do not come together without the incredible work of volunteers. So if somebody wants to inquire and learn more about how they can contribute, how do they do so? To volunteer or learn more, uh, Peter Parsons is your man. So his email is parsons.pete at gmail.com. And the tournament itself will feature five Canadian teams and one American team with games running steadily from Saturday, November 5th at 8.30 a.m. to about 8 p.m. that day, and then resuming on Sunday for the championship games, going from around 7.30 in the morning to about 4 p.m. So if you just want to check out the action during those times, you're welcome to swing by the venue for the tournament, which is the Lamarche. St. Thomas Elementary School, 6141 Watt Street in Halifax. Well, I know people are really pumped to get this one uh, back going. So best of luck to the athletes and the volunteers and everybody involved on the ground for that one. Ryan, we have been talking extensively about Disability Employment Awareness Month on this show for the last couple of weeks. Well, you've got some events in the Halifax area. What are the details? So uh, the organization here is Teamwork Cooperative, working with Mentor Ability Atlantic Canada, and they're inviting you to celebrate Disability Employment Awareness Month, hashtag D-E-A-M, this Thursday, October 27th, from 1 to 2.30 p.m. This will feature special guest speaker Augie Jones, currently principal at the Nova Scotia Community College's Agerly Campus in Dartmouth. 
Augie has an extensive history with inclusive education. Under the umbrella of his Empathize Others platform, he has conducted numerous professional development sessions that facilitate conversations around the intersectionality of race, class, ability, and gender in society. So come raise awareness for inclusive employment and have fun too at the Teamwork Office, 7071 Bears Road, Suite 244. There will be vendors, snacks, prizes, music, ASL interpretation, and much more. Uh, they do ask that if possible, you register before arriving. And so that would be by emailing Will, and that's uh, email address wstone at teamworkbridge.org. Ryan, it goes without saying the Teamwork Cooperative and Mentorability are doing work all around the year. And I know you gave those points of contact for this particular event happening, but how can folks uh, get involved with these organizations to get access to their supports and services? Uh, simply just I would visit teamworkbridge.org uh, online or search them on Facebook as well. They've got quite a variety of employees with different specialities, uh, so you can certainly find somebody there. We'd had some revisions to our employment support services a few years ago where a lot of organizations that were kind of tailored to a very specific audience um, were maybe considered to be discriminatory. So they all were sort of uh, enveloped into one organization that has women's employment opportunities and disability supports and other things as well. So that's your best starting point for certain. Ryan, we can walk and chew gum at the same time, and there are many more awareness months occurring this month while we celebrate Disability Employment Awareness. There's also Indigenous Disability Awareness Month event happening around the city. So what's going on around this time next week? The first thing that I'd seen was uh, the Office of Diversity and Inclusion uh, inviting everyone to attend, uh, to join representatives from the Indigenous and Disability community for the flag-raising, proclamation, reading, and guest speakers for Indi Indigenous Disability Awareness Month. And that flag-raising will be happening next Monday, October 31st, from 10 a.m. to noon at Grand Parade Square and City Hall, 1841 Argyle Street in Halifax. So there should be more to follow, but that's the only announcement I've seen so far uh, locally pertaining to it. And Ryan, let's wrap up with a little bit of fun here. Just last week, we were talking to Thea Curdy about more inclusive playgrounds and more universal design being incorporated in playgrounds across the country. Well, there's one that opened up right around the corner from where you're sitting right now. Tell me a bit more about the first Jumpstart inclusive playground to launch in Halifax. I'd gotten a glimpse of it over the last few weeks. It was always taped off. It was down a little <laughs> hill, a little bit hidden away. You were so a man on the scene. Know. You were investigating. Didn't quite know what to expect, but saw the announcement last week and uh, looked really promising and had a chance to check it out myself this weekend. It's an 11,000 foot square foot play area created for children of all abilities to enjoy in partnership between Halifax and Canadian Tire Jumpstart Charities. It's part of the company's commitment to build an accessible park in each of Canada's provinces and territories by 2022. And Halifax marks Nova Scotia as the last province in that commitment. And they held their grand opening last Wednesday in Halifax's North End between the George Dixon Centre and Uniac Square. It's a $1 million addition to Dixon Park, universally accessible, has a double-wide ramps, static-free slides, Braille lettering charts, a communications board, wheelchair-accessible merry-go-round, adapted teeter-totter, and much, much more. Uh, early reviews from some of my friends who are parents, uh, some of the kids that have been reported by CBC uh, have been stellar. And uh, I took a couple of my elder dog clients by the park for a walk on the weekend. 
I was very happy to see it well used and uh, really has quite a lot to offer in an area that's often underserved. And so it's a great spot for it and uh, looks like it's uh, been pretty well received so far. I'm sure it will be very well loved over time. Ryan, isn't it exciting when you're walking around the neighborhood and all of a sudden the boards and the fences come down and you get the grand reveal? When it's not a new Airbnb or condo, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if it's something that uh, isn't pricing people out of the neighborhood. And so this is definitely one of the uh, really positive changes. Uh, so very exciting to see. And it's a nice little park anyway. There's uh, basketball courts, a uh, community garden, and then just kind of down the hill. Um, it is, I didn't notice when I was up close, but from a taller vantage point, you see it is the uh, red Canadian Tire Triangle logo, the uh, soft, squishy uh, playground material. Uh, but uh, that was kind of it for the branding that I noticed. And up close, it was just uh, really beautifully done. Uh, I worry a little bit about the neighbors with some of the drums and chimes and musical <laughs> instruments that they have uh, adjoining uh, some residential area. But uh, I'm sure it'll be uh, very pleasant so long as you uh, enjoy the sound of children uh, having fun. It, it's tough to be a NIMBY when kids are involved, you know? It's, t- it's, <laughs> yeah. it's tough to be like, no, not in my backyard, as, like, kids are having fun and, like, enjoying themselves in a public Everyone's park. Everyone's included. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. accessible. There's all these learning tools. Yeah, it's a really great spot. But I bet there's probably one or two. <laughs> but if I lived in Ottawa long enough, I know there's always one or two. Hey, Ryan, we always appreciate the broad range of stories you bring to us. Thank you for this. And we'll talk to you again in a couple weeks. All right, I'm off to that playground now. All right, <laughs> there see you later. You go. <laughs> Ryan's going to go give the dogs a walk and have a peek at the playground. That's Ryan Delahanty. He's a content development specialist for AMI, joining us from Halifax, Nova Scotia. That's all the time we have for the show today. Don't worry, we'll be back again tomorrow. Lawrence Gunther will be here. He's going to explore bidets as an environmental alternative to toilet paper. It's not going to be a cruddy conversation with Lawrence Gunther. I'll tell you that much. And we'll wrap up the show tomorrow with the weekly news quiz. I think we have all the pieces back into their regular places with Alex, Andy, and Karen McGee. The show starts at 9 a.m. Eastern time. Don't forget, if you do miss it live, you can always download the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.